A clerk scans and bags groceries inside, while outside, a light blue Prius drives itself to a dedicated parking space in a steamy Houston Kroger parking lot. A grocery store worker pushes a rattling cart to the waiting car and loads brown bags full of chips and bottled water into the car. The car that in a few moments will drive itself away as part of a self-driving car grocery delivery program between technology company Neuro and grocery chain Kroger. I'm Sean Courtney, Bloomberg government's transportation reporter. I'm back in DC now, but I recorded the grocery store sounds and an interview with technology company Neuro while I was in Houston. Houston area Kroger's are working with Neuro, which is testing self-driving technology in Toyota Priuses. The technology is constantly gathering data as it navigates parking lots and public streets, all while delivering groceries to curious customers. Sula Lawal, the production operations manager for Neuro's Houston program, walked me through how these otherwise normal-looking cars are driving themselves, which for now is anything but normal. Uh, a lot of times you see the vehicle, the steering wheel is driving by itself, the pedals are sort of moving by themselves, right? Like the outside surely looks like a Prius, it's got Neuro on the side, but it has undergone quite a bit of uh, modifications in the interior uh, to essentially make it an autonomous vehicle. Sean Courtney again, back in D.C., and joined by Sarah Babbage, a legislative analyst who covers transportation policy for Bloomberg government. Today we're bringing you a special episode of Suspending the Rules, all about autonomous vehicles. Last year, members of Congress came close to passing a major bill to regulate autonomous vehicles, but the bill died. That hasn't stopped autonomous vehicles from rolling out onto our roads, though. Tesla will have self-driving vehicles. Elon Musk says they will have a self-driving car ready in the future. CNET shows us Google's self-driving car. And this is the Mercedes-Benz Vision Urbanetic. It is entirely autonomous. You'll see there isn't even a, a steering wheel here for someone to take over. Uh, this is entirely... Whether we want them or not, companies are testing vehicles that drive themselves on the same roads and same highways we use every day. And there are no specific rules for autonomous vehicles at the federal level. That's right. So today, instead of our usual suspending the rules format of looking at legislation moving through Congress, we're looking at what happens when Congress can't agree on legislation. We'll look at the Transportation Department's oversight and ask whether these cars are safe. But first, it's important to understand what we're talking about. When I hear the words self-driving car, I think of a pod straight out of the Jetsons. Right, something you'll be able to hop into and curl up on a couch with a good book while a computer system guides you to your destination. But in reality, this technology is still developing, and we're pretty far from the point where you can kick up your feet while the car does all the work. You'll hear the phrase autonomous vehicles, driverless cars, and self-driving cars used interchangeably throughout this episode, even though they each have a slightly different meaning. Our basic definition is a vehicle that can operate in some capacity without a human performing the tasks we associate with driving. We chatted with Kevin Tynan, who covers the auto industry for Bloomberg Intelligence, to explain how far we actually are from fully autonomous vehicles. Um, if you think about five levels uh, from zero to five, with five being 
full self-driving, meaning no steering wheel, no pedals, no way for a human to take control of the vehicle, even if they wanted to or had to. Uh, we're probably somewhere halfway to that, maybe level two and a half, not quite three. Okay, so we're about halfway to kicking up our feet, but what's a two and a half anyway? Well, Kevin tells us it's like a glorified cruise control. That would mean that the vehicle can handle many tasks and and real world examples would be driving down the highway, uh, middle lane. So so sort of like a cruise control with even more capability, uh, seeing what's around it, keeping pace, keeping distance with other vehicles. Same thing in a high volume situation. Kevin also said the cars are generally still being tested with at least one safety driver who can take control at any time. A full level five vehicle wouldn't even have a steering wheel or other things you need for a human driver. So our cushy space pod isn't even being tested on the road at this point. Right. And we're primarily seeing driverless cars being tested for things like ride sharing and deliveries like Neuro's grocery delivery program. Neuro's starting with safety drivers in Priuses, but plans to deploy its own vehicles soon. Here's Neuro's Shola Lawal again. The Prius allows for us to do a number of different things that occur as we are driving out on the road. So we can collect data, we can test our software, we can um, not freak people <laughs> uh, as we have individuals in the cars uh, for safety. So Neuro is closer to running its driverless delivery vehicle, but we're a very long way from the point where you can order a self-driving car to come pick you up or buy a fully self-driving car off a lot. Still, more and more cars have autonomous elements. Like that cool feature that parallel parks for you using surround cameras, radar, and ultrasonic sensors to navigate the vehicle into a parking spot. Right, and beyond the superior experience we'll get in level five vehicles, their proponents say they have potentials to substantially improve safety. Here's what Transportation Secretary Elaine Chow had to say in October of 2018. In 2017, more than 37,000 people died in motor vehicle crashes on American roads. And automated technology can actually make driving safer and save more lives. But so far we've seen that even with a driver in the car, there have been a few high-profile crashes, like when a vehicle being tested by Uber killed a pedestrian in Arizona last year. Uber today put the brakes on all road testing of its self-driving cars after a deadly accident. A pedestrian in Tempe, Arizona was killed last night by a self-driving Uber taxi. It is believed to be the first fatality caused by an autonomous vehicle. Tempe police released two videos Wednesday. One filming outside the car shows 49-year-old Elaine Herzberg crossing the road with her bicycle. It pauses just before the moment of impact. That death was one of the things that hit the pause button on the autonomous vehicle bills in Congress. But if Congress isn't regulating autonomous vehicles, is anyone? And in the absence of legislation, what are the car makers doing? Well, the Transportation Department has largely taken a voluntary approach to oversight. But autonomous vehicles do have to meet the requirements of the Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards. Though there is an alternate route. That's right, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But for now, here's how those standards are described by Sean Kildare, who is Research Director at Advocates for Highway and Auto Safety. They advocate for additional government oversight of autonomous vehicles. And the Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards control how our vehicles uh, must perform. So, for example, we have a standard that says you must offer a certain level of protection in a frontal impact. And that's where we get our airbag and our seatbelt standards. 
But Sean went on to explain that as long as autonomous vehicles meet those standards, there isn't much further oversight. Right now, there is no federal motor vehicle safety standard for the driving operation of the autonomous vehicle. So in other words, the vehicle is still required to perform at a given level when it's in a frontal crash. But there are absolutely no federal motor vehicle safety standards that say this autonomous vehicle must be able to drive down the road and not crash. So there are standards for specific functions, but not like drive straight? Right. So to meet those federal standards, autonomous vehicle makers have been testing their self-driving technology in normal cars that have been equipped with lasers and cameras. Which is what Neuro was doing with those Toyota Priuses in Houston. But as we mentioned, there's one other option. The Transportation Department has a very limited authority to allow cars that don't meet safety standards onto the roads. Neuro is one of two companies currently seeking an exemption from the Transportation Department. In the next few months, we plan on having the uh, toaster bot, as the kids call it, um, in the city of Houston doing deliveries unmanned. Um, it has all of the functionality, or most of the functionality, uh, of the Prius in regards to collecting data and software and testing and all of that, uh, but it is completely unmanned. The toaster bot he's talking about is Neuro's design for a tiny self-driving vehicle. The company wants permission to use autonomous delivery shuttles on public roads. Current law would classify them as a low-speed vehicle, which still requires them to meet standards for human drivers, even though the toaster bot has just enough room for a family's groceries, but certainly not a driver. No driver, no seatbelt, no rearview mirrors. As the name says, they basically look like a toaster on wheels with compartments for groceries instead of people. For now, Neuro is meeting standards by deploying their technology in the Priuses until they get a waiver to test the toaster bot. No, there, there's no space for a backup driver. It's all unmanned. There's literally just compartments and computers and sensors, but no seats. There are a number of design elements that have gone in to, to ensure that we stay um, in accord with regulations as they are set up at the federal and local levels. Uh, some of them are unnecessary, right? Like you think if there are no seats, then you don't necessarily need seat belts. And if there are no uh, eyes looking out of a mirror, then you don't really need a rear view mirror. But we have some of those things to ensure that we stay uh, in accordance with regulation. General Motors is currently the only other company with an active petition for an exemption. It wants to use a version of its electric Chevrolet Bolt for a ride-sharing service. They also want to scrap things like a steering wheel, gear shifter, and foot bottles. We talked to Hillary Kane from Toyota about what the exemption process means for automakers. Under existing law, there's a limited number of exemptions that are available for each vehicle manufacturer for a particular exemption. So that's 2,500 vehicles for two years, um, so 2,500 and then 2,500. So there are more than 260 million cards on the road in the U.S. right now. And this process, which no automakers have even gotten through, would let them each put only 2,500 self-driving cars on U.S. roads each year for two years. Yeah, and when we think about that idea of level five cars that Kevin mentioned earlier, it will be tough to get there with that cap. Hillary says that is really going to hamstring the automakers. So that has some um uh, viability um, in the near term if you're looking at smaller scale pilots, but doesn't provide, you know, you as a developer the opportunity to sort of scale up 
uh, your deployments over time. We do have ideas and concepts out there that would not be a conventionally designed vehicle, so which would have to take advantage of exemptions until the motor vehicle safety standards were updated, which is a process that will likely take many, many, many years. Um, so we're in a bit of a, of a pickle, I think, like a lot of developers. The safety groups we talk to are concerned about the process the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, or NHTSA, is using to vet these waiver requests. Here's Jason Levine from the Center for Auto Safety. They're another group advocating for federal oversight of autonomous vehicles. The mechanisms by which they would normally gather information uh, to try and determine the safety remain a bit uh, of a mystery. There's a lot of open questions as to how is NHTSA going to evaluate these requests. So there's no regulation specific to autonomous vehicles, and the Transportation Department can only allow a limited number of non-compliant autonomous vehicles on the road, and there are still safety concerns to be addressed. But we don't want to make it sound like the department isn't doing anything. That's right. They've been putting out a series of frameworks that create voluntary principles for automakers to follow when developing self-driving cars. And they've suggested that automakers produce voluntary safety assessments that describe how they're testing their cars. But automakers are limited by this approach, and safety advocates are concerned about it. Here's what Kathy Chase had to say. She's the president of Advocates for Highway and Auto Safety. The challenge with guidelines is that there's no safety standards. They are voluntary and they are guidelines. So an autonomous vehicle company or a tech company can decide whether or not they want to follow the guidelines. And here's Hillary Kane from Toyota again. I think the biggest challenge facing the agency right now um, and the industry is the need for the existing motor vehicle safety standard code, right, to be updated to reflect autonomous driving. Um, This is something that the department is starting to do the legwork on. They've got an effort underway where they're looking at which motor vehicle safety standards reference human drivers and how they might be changed so that they can accommodate driverless vehicles. I think the challenge is that that is going to take many, many years from where they're at now. But I think the industry is sort of united in its belief that that's got to happen as quickly as it possibly can. What she's talking about there is the start of a rulemaking process to remove references to human drivers in existing safety standards and making other changes to clear the path for autonomous vehicles. They call it removing regulatory barriers and are tackling that before even thinking about new regulations specific to autonomous vehicles. Although there aren't federal standards for autonomous vehicles, state and local governments have been trying to regulate them. Here's Jason Levine again. There are 37 states that have passed 37 different pieces of either legislation or have enacted executive orders that are an attempt to govern autonomous vehicle testing. Car manufacturers say this is creating a patchwork of different rules that will be hard to keep track of and comply with. That patchwork is exactly what federal lawmakers were trying to tackle when the House and Senate both wrote self-driving car bills last Congress. So, in the absence of federal legislation, we have these cars rolling out onto the road either as retrofitted versions of existing vehicles or in a really limited process for non-traditional vehicles. Otherwise, there's little in the way of mandatory national requirements. What I want to know, and what I think everybody who is listening to this podcast wants to know, is 
Should we actually be concerned about the safety if we're sharing the road with these cars? To answer that, we went back to Kevin at Bloomberg Intelligence. I think this goes back to the environment that vehicles are being tested. And the fact of the matter is that a lot of the testing is being done in ideal situations. So where you would say, you know, somebody like Waymo or GM Cruise or Tesla would say, we've had one crash per however many hundred thousand miles. Um, But you would say, but what are those conditions? Those are ideal conditions, right? Good during the day, straight roads, um, nice sunny day, where humans are driving in every condition, every situation, year-round, basically 24-7, 365. Um, So it's not an apples-to-apples comparison on what a human is capable of and what the machines are capable of. Senator John Thune of South Dakota has been a key proponent of autonomous vehicle legislation. He was chairman of the Senate Commerce Committee in the last Congress, and now he's the Senate whip, or the number two in leadership. Back when negotiations broke down on this bill in December, I tracked him down in the basement of the Dirksen Senate office building to ask him about it. And here's what he said at the time. I was hoping to ask you about AV Start. What, what do we got? Yeah, I think you put the nail on that coffin. Yeah. So as you can tell there, Congress did try to create a new federal framework to regulate self-driving cars with one standard at the national level. Both the House and Senate had bills, but neither became law. Let's talk quickly about what was in those bills. Both bills would have allowed car companies to put a lot more fully autonomous vehicles on the road. If car companies wanted to put cars on the road that don't have basic features used by drivers, like mirrors and pedals, they would no longer be subject to that 2,500 vehicle cap we talked about earlier. Right. The House bill would have eventually allowed each manufacturer to put 100,000 vehicles on the road each year. The Senate's maximum would have been 80,000. Manufacturers also would have had to provide more information about their vehicle's safety. The bills also would have set the Transportation Department on a path to modify its safety standards for traditional vehicles, and then set new regulations for autonomous vehicles. But neither bill was actually at the level of laying out what those regulations should be. To find out more, I went back to the bill author, Senator John Thune, to follow up on our interaction from December. And I was hoping you might be able to tell me, you know, why you think that we need a national framework and why that's um, beneficial versus allowing states by state by state to kind of come up with their own policy. When it comes to the question of who regulates, whether that's done at the federal level or the state level, that's really something that Congress is going to have to step in and decide. And there are some issues where states can act independently on their own, but the, you know, interstate commerce is a, is a federal national issue, and you're going to have a lot of... Um, vehicles, uh, you know, going across uh, straight state lines. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that we establish in law um, some rules of the road that, uh, that will help, um, you know, shape that further development of this technology. But his bill didn't make it into law last year. So what has that meant for car makers and the people developing the technology in the U.S.? Senator Gary Peters, who wrote the bill with Senator Thune, has a good perspective on this. He's a senator from Michigan, a state known for its automotive prowess. Having, having a federal framework in place creates a, a, an environment of some certainty. And one thing uh, business doesn't like uh, is uncertainty, particularly when you're making massive investments. And you're, you're talking about billions of dollars being invested in uh, self-driving uh, technology. And anybody who's uh, making those kinds of investments want to have some idea as to what the the rules of the road are, so to speak, uh, for them going forward. Peters also said he's worried about falling behind foreign competitors and the U.S. missing its chance to influence the safety of this technology. 
Yeah, I'm very worried about the competitive position uh, of the United States if we don't pass uh, legislation. This technology is not something unique to the United States. The, the world understands that this is the, the future for transportation. And, and I want to make sure uh, that we're, we're at the forefront that the United States uh, continues to have a dominant leadership position. It sounds like there's a lot at stake here. So why didn't Congress get a bill passed into law last year? I asked Senators Peters and Thune why they couldn't get there last year and whether any of that has changed now that we're in a new Congress. Well, we did. We, uh, we had legislation passed out of committee unanimously uh, and then went to the full Senate. But at that point, uh, everybody kind of comes out of the woodwork uh, and uh, has, has opinions uh, about the bill is what we saw in that process. Uh, and we were coming very, very close. We simply ran out of time uh, with the legislative session. Our side was ready to move. We were, we were constantly reacting to the uh, latest uh, issues raised by um, uh, the, the Democrats and, and some of the outside groups. And I think that um, we, were, we were so close in the last Congress that I just can't believe that we can't get there this year. Senator Peters made the point that automakers are deploying autonomous technology in retrofitted cars that meet federal safety standards, as we discussed earlier today, and they aren't subject to any of the safeguards in the bills from last year. That gives folks a good reason to come back to the table. But uh, actually, you're in an era now where you could put out self-driving cars and, and not go through all the hoops that, that we're going to put in uh, this legislation. And so they're talking again. Conversations have been very much behind the scenes among staff and more recently among staff and industry stakeholders, including many of the people we've heard from for this podcast. The goal is to make a renewed push in this Congress, so between now and December 2020, to get a bill the House and Senate can agree on and that the president would sign. But 2020 is an election year, and even the basic work Congress has to do, like funding the government, will be difficult, let alone a brand new policy framework. They've got their work cut out for them. We've covered some of the thorniest issues that stakeholders are facing today on regulating the actual cars and their performance. But there are so many more issues that these cars are going to raise. If we switch to autonomous trucks, what's that going to do to the trucker workforce? What if an autonomous vehicle gets hacked? There are also questions of insurance, liability, preemption of state rules, equal access for people with disabilities, and more. Bloomberg Government will continue to bring you reporting and analysis as the debate unfolds on BeGov.com and the Bloomberg Terminal. That's it for this week's special episode of Suspending the Rules. Adam Taylor and the legislative analyst team will be back soon with more. If you like this episode, you can subscribe to Suspending the Rules on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. We'd also love to hear your feedback. You can shoot us an email at bgovpodcast at bgov.com. This episode of Suspending the Rules was produced by me, Sean Courtney, along with Sarah Babbage. Adam Shank is our supervising producer. Nico Anzalata edited the episode. And Josh Block is our executive producer for podcasts. Our theme music is Home Organ by Zach Nasita. More information can be found at premiumbeat.com. Hey, I'm Adam Allington. I'm the host of a new show from Bloomberg Environment called The Business of Bees. Here's what you need to know about it. We travel around the country talking to people at every corner of the honeybee ecosystem. This is the largest managed pollination event on Earth. In fact, commercial beekeeping is more important to farming than ever before. But bees are also under threat from pesticides and invasive pests and mysterious diseases. It's sort of like Christmas when you go to the hive in December and you open the lid. You just hope somebody's home. If you're interested in bees too, I think you might like the show. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts.